0: I was watching a video online not too long ago, and the video was about how to start a speech. And the man who gave it had a degree in communications and was a well-known public speaker. And he was one of those guys who actually would be hired to go into companies' seminars and gatherings and things like that to give a motivational speech or something like that. And he gave a couple of different ways about which way is the best way to start a speech. And the number one way he said was to start with a story, to start with something that happened, to start with something that was interesting to kind of get the people uh, starting to listen. Because if you do public speaking, you know you've got about 30 seconds to get people's attention. Otherwise, uh, you know, you're kind of uh, already in the hole. I've probably already lost about half of you, but that's okay. We'll get you back soon, I'm sure. But even in the secular world, they know if you want somebody to pay attention, if you want somebody to listen to what you're saying present with them some kind of illustration or some kind of story that drives home really what you want them to understand. And Jesus really was the master of this. And when we're going to look at his parables, how he taught, how he used parables, why he used them, we'll see that he truly is the master teacher. I think that's really symbolized for us or maybe illustrated for us with the phrase, once upon a time. No matter how old you are, If you grow up in Western civilization and you hear that phrase, once upon a time, you know what's coming next. You know there's a story. You know you want to pay attention. You know you want to hear what's going to be next out of that person's mouth. And Jesus didn't have once upon a time, but he had a couple of different phrases he would use to let people know, hey, there's a parable coming. He'd say, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he'd start. Or he'd say, there's a certain man who had two sons, and then he would start. Or he'd say, suppose if you were a shepherd, and he had 100 sheep. And then he would start, and people just knew to pay attention and to listen to what he was about to say. And we're going to see that parables, though they did help people learn, there's also that wasn't the only reason Jesus spoke in them. And we're going to see a couple of different things about that and see how that really connects to us in our life and our spiritual walk with Christ. So just some basic introductions, some basic info on parables to start. In the first place, parables comprise about one-third of Jesus's teaching. And when you think about how much that is, when you go through, maybe you've got a red-letter Bible, and you see all those uh, red letters, all those red uh, words and sentences, about one-third of that is Jesus' teaching in parables. Now, of course, in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, some of those are repeated, but still a big chunk of what he taught was in this form of parable. Thus, if we understand parables, to study parables... To study what parables are is to better understand the master teacher's style and his curriculum, if you would. And I would argue because Jesus used parables so often, it's important for us as his followers to be familiar with them, to acquaint ourselves with them, uh, to reap what God would have us to reap from them and to grow as Christians. The word parable parabole in the Greek literally means throwing alongside. It's to throw something alongside something else. And you see that in what a parable is. He's taking, uh, you know, just an everyday event, and he's throwing that alongside a deeper spiritual truth or a deeper spiritual reality. You've probably heard before this definition, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And that's partly true. A parable is mainly an analogy. It's mainly uh, a comparison. And sometimes, though, a parable in the Bible is used to just refer to a figure of speech or a proverb or even a type-anti-type relationship. Notice a couple of things here. parable doesn't always fit this description the way it's used. And I like to get the exceptions out of the way before we look at how it's usually used. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, verse 23. Luke 4, 23. Notice what Jesus has to say there. Luke four twenty three and this is uh, him in Nazareth being rejected by the religious leaders there. But in verse twenty three, and he said to them, Doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb physician, heal yourself. What we have uh, what we have heard what we what we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. But notice what Jesus says, you will quote to me this proverb. That word proverb is actually that word parabole, usually translated parable. And he says, Physician, heal thyself is a parable. And really, uh, it's kind of a figure of speech. It's a proverb. It's kind of a, uh, uh, just a generic phrase. But also, look at Mark chapter 7, if you would. Turn there in your Bibles. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse number 15. And Notice how parable is used here. Again, something we necessarily wouldn't think of as a parable, but that's how it's described. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. Really beginning in verse 14, and this is the whole discussion about eating with unwashed hands. He called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? since it enters into his heart, not into his heart, but his stomach, and then is expelled. Thus, Jesus declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, fornications, uh, sorry, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within And they defile a person. So he's telling the religious leaders, no, right? They had that that attitude, that way of cleaning the outside of the cup, not the inside of the cup. And they would say, look, I can hate my brother. I can lust after other women. I can commit adultery. But as long as I wash my hands before I eat, I'm going to be okay with God. And Jesus says, wait a second, no. The food going in your mouth, that's not what's going to defile you. What's coming out of your heart is what's going to defile you. And he says, all those things come from a man's heart. But notice there, he calls it a parable. They ask him about that parable in verse 15. Nothing outside a person can defile them, and they refer to that as a parable. So it's a pretty good rule of thumb. But when we talk about Jesus using parables, it's not really just proverbs. It's not just phrases or sayings. We're talking about figures of speech used as comparisons, usually told in the form of a story. And that's how we usually see it when Jesus speaks in parables. And it's interesting that this is used exclusively by Jesus in the New Testament. This way of uh, analogy, this way of comparison, this story with the spiritual application, nobody else does that except for Jesus. But there are a few Old Testament examples that are pretty interesting. Two examples of parables, the way Jesus used them in the Old Testament. You might say, well, this is something new to the New Testament. Not necessarily Notice these verses with me. In the first place, 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 7. 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 7. Many of us probably already know this, but just to establish the context a little bit, this is right on the heels of David's sin with Bathsheba. Right on the heels of uh, David sleeping with Bathsheba and then sending her husband to the front of the line to be killed. Later in the narrative, it said that David did... All in his life according to the commandment of the Lord except for his sin with Uriah the Hittite. So this really was the glaring defect in the life of David. But notice how Nathan the prophet tells him about it. He just doesn't come up to him and say, hey, you need to repent adultery is a sin. He gets David on his same side so that David can see for himself to come to his own conclusion. It's not just somebody teaching him something. It's him going along for the ride and discovering it for himself that he's done wrong. Verse, chapter 12, verse 1, "...the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city." Sounds just like one of the parables of Jesus. "...there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and grew it up with him and with his children. It even used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms." It was like a daughter to him. Look at how much this man loved this lamb. Now there came a traveler to the rich man. And the rich man was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house, your master's wives, and your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? Notice before Nathan could even get around to really the point of the parable, before Nathan could even start to Convict David, uh, you know, straightforwardly. David already came to the conclusion and said, "This man deserves to die." That's the power of the parable. And of course, Nathan would say, "David, you are that man." And we'll see that David's repentance. He fasts. He's in sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes. He eats nothing until his child ends up dying. But notice also Isaiah chapter five verses one through seven. Isaiah five one through seven. Here's another. Example, good example of a parable in the Old Testament. And it's interesting that Jesus would actually use this parable in one of his own parables. Jesus has a parable about a vineyard, all these people are sent to the vineyard, they're all killed. Finally, the vineyard owner sends his son, even the son is killed, and the people who are overlooking that vineyard are condemned. And Jesus uses it as a parable for Israel, of apostate Israel. God keeps sending all these prophets to them. What do they keep doing? killing them, mistreating them. God finally sends his son. What do they do to God's son? They kill him. What do you think the judgment will be to those who own the vineyard or those who run the vineyard? Jesus is pulling this straight from Isaiah 5. Look at it here. And that parable is in Mark 12, 1 through 8, if you want to write that down, where Jesus quotes this parable, one of his own parables. In Isaiah 5, beginning in verse 1, the Lord says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill, He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me to do with my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do in my vineyard. I will remove its hedge." And the Lord is able to use this parable about a vineyard to convict the people of Israel that they're wrong, that they're in sin, that they need to change. The vineyard planted by the Lord was Israel, and the choice vines were the men of Judah. And he looked for them to produce these great grapes, and instead, unrighteousness. Instead of performing justice, they ignored those who needed help. And the result was, somebody was going to come in and overtake the vineyard. And of course, Israel ended up going into captivity. But we see that Jesus uses parables in a similar way. You've got a true-to-life story that draws a parallel between heavenly things and earthly things. And what we see is Jesus uses familiar scenes to describe unseen spiritual realities. He's going from things people are familiar with to teach them about something they don't really know about or maybe they're not picking up on. So he uses images that were familiar to his audience, a farmer sowing seed, a mustard seed, workers separating wheat at a harvest, a merchant buying a pearl, a woman begging to an unfair king, a great dinner banquet, all these things Jesus uses to try to teach the people, to try to show them these spiritual realities. But getting right down to the heart of this lesson, the purpose of parables. And I think some of this is easier than others. And there's a couple of these reasons that we're familiar with. One of them we've already been talking about, but there's a third reason for why Jesus uses parables, but that sometimes we overlook. And there's this, notice there in that text that was read for us, Matthew 13. Please turn your Bibles there. Matthew 13, beginning in verse number 10. And this is right on the heels of the parable of the sower. Some people call it the parable of the soil. Some people call it the parable of parables. Why? Because not only does Jesus give the meaning of this parable, but this parable acts as a launching pad for Jesus to explain Why he uses parables in the first place. Matthew 13, beginning in verse number 10. What we'll see that in the first place, uh, before we uh, get to reading that text, is that Jesus spoke in parables in order to fulfill prophecy. Just look. It's the next page over in my Bible. uh, Matthew 13, verses 34 through 35. And here, we're getting some inspired commentary about Jesus' use of parables. It says, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. It seems as if Jesus, every lesson, every opportunity he had, he would tell a parable. Notice verse 35, this purpose statement. This was to fulfill. So why did Jesus speak in parables? In the first place, in order to fulfill prophecy, verse 35. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And we find this prophecy in Psalm 78, verses 1 through 2. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 2, essentially the text of it is reproduced there in verse 35. And that's the psalmist talking about teaching Israel, but it's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, who, by manner of his teaching style, one-third of the time, uh, of all of his content, spoke in parables. A couple of other Prophecies fulfilled in Jesus' use of parables. Look at Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. And notice what God has to say about Israel there in Isaiah and how that connects to Jesus' audience in the text that was read for us in Matthew 13. Isaiah 6, verses 9 through 10. And he said, uh, sorry, And he said, so this is right on the here I am, send me of Isaiah. He said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Really what's going on here is the Lord is telling Isaiah, you're going to go and you're going to preach to this people, but they're hard hearted. And even though you're preaching the word of the Lord, even though you're preaching, truth from the very throne of God, they're going to reject it. And Because of the state of their heart, it's going to make their hearts even more hard. And they're going to hear what you're saying. They're going to see you uh, preaching. But their hearts are only going to get harder. And Jesus says that happened when he spoke in parables also. And then Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 2 is also uh, fulfilled for us in, in Jesus' use of parables. If you would uh, notice that verse with me. Ezekiel chapter 12 and verse number 2. There, likewise, it's something said of Israel that uh, connects to uh, uh, Jesus' audience in the first century. Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, who have eyes to see, but see not. Who have ears to hear, but hear not, for they are a rebellious house. So again, you see the hardness of heart. Even though it hears the word of the Lord, there is no change. There is no understanding. Why? Because the heart is hard. The heart is hardened by sin. The heart is hardened by uh, apathy. The heart is hardened by just a disregard Maybe it's pride in the case of the Pharisees. They didn't want to understand Jesus because it meant that they'd be out of a lot of power, out of a lot of money. It meant that they'd been wrong their entire lives. Uh, But in the first place, Jesus spoke in parables in order to fulfill prophecy. And you see that in the New Testament by the fact that he's the only person in the New Testament to use these parables. It was distinctly messianic. People could tell, wait a second, this guy's speaking in parables that reminds me of the Psalms. In the next place, Jesus spoke in parables in order to conceal spiritual truths from the heart of heart. And this is the one that's maybe a little bit more controversial, the point that sometimes is overlooked. But notice what Jesus says in this text in Matthew 13, beginning in verse number 10. Notice what he says. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, for he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, just like Isaiah 6 and Ezekiel 12. Seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. That says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they've been closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart. And I and I would turn, and they turn, and I would heal them. Uh, so it's pretty interesting. Part of this is to conceal spiritual truths to those who have a hard heart. And it's not that Jesus is being unfair. Really, Jesus, using parables, is teaching in such a way that only people who want to understand will understand them. Only people willing to accept what Jesus has to say will be able to accept it. And it's just vague enough that a Pharisee could sit in the crowd and hear it and walk away not convicted of his sin. But it's also clear enough that somebody with an open heart who wants to grow closer to God could understand it, put it into practice in their life, and grow closer to the God who gave it. And it's not that Jesus was trying to hide information from people. It's not Jesus was saying, you're up, your fate's sealed. I'm going to speak in some vague riddle so you don't understand it. It's that Jesus is unwilling to force people into the kingdom. He's unwilling to force the Pharisees and those with hard hearts to accept what he said. He already knows the condition of their heart. He knows that they're unwilling. And so he speaks in parables. And in the case of those with hard hearts, it drives them sometimes even further away. One scholar had this to write about it. Jesus deliberately concealed the word in parable lest men against their will should be forced to acknowledge the kingdom. And yet he allowed them enough light to convict them and to convince them. So what's the difference here? The condition of the heart. Those with hard hearts, they weren't going to get it by choice. And God wasn't going to force them into his kingdom. But those with open and willing hearts were going to understand. And they were going to be convicted and convinced by the light that Jesus was sharing. Notice a couple of verses with me here that I think better illustrate this point for us. Look at Acts chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. Acts 13, 44 through 46. And notice what Paul has to say going along a similar line of thinking. Acts 13, beginning in verse 44. And Paul, as was his custom, even though he was the apostle of the Gentiles, he went first to the Jews. That was the pattern of the gospel. It goes to the Jews first, then to Judea, then Samaria, then the outer reaches of the world, right? So even Paul, he would go to the Jews first, and then he would go on to the Gentiles. Notice in verse 44, the next Sabbath, the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Now, could Paul speak? Absolutely. Was Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Did different signs accompany Paul and his co-workers to confirm what he was saying? Absolutely. But notice these Jews, out of jealousy, out of the hardness of their hearts, what do they do? They contradict what he's saying. Verse 46, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you thrust it aside, and notice this, judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. It wasn't that God was saying, we don't care about you. It wasn't that God was saying, you know, there's nothing I can do with a hard heart. Paul is saying, this is your own decision. You hardened your own heart. It was your decision to be jealous. It was your decision to come out and to contradict the Lord's apostles. And the result was they were going to move on and find a different audience. But notice that phrase there. They judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. Why? They were unwilling to listen. They were unwilling to understand. They were unwilling to repent. They were unwilling to accept the word of the Lord. And the result was Paul and Barnabas went on. Notice also the very end of the book of Acts. Acts 28, verses 23 through 28. Acts 28, 23 through 28, and this is, as I said, right at the end of Acts, this is kind of the descent of the narrative that's going on there. And we see Paul, he finally made it to Rome, and he's trying to preach, he's trying to do the work of the Lord, that's why he's here after all. Notice Acts 28, verse 23, and he's there trying to speak with some Jews there in Rome, When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So here you have Paul, smart guy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, trying to prove to this group of Jews that Jesus is who he said he is, that Jesus died for their sins, that the church now has been established and there's a way to enter it. Verse 24, and some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. So this was the camel that broke, I mean, the camel that broke the straw's back. The straw that broke the camel's back. That's a little bit more difficult. Okay. The Holy Spirit, this is what Paul says. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their ears, sorry, see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. It's not that their fate is sealed. They still have the opportunity to repent. And God says, if these people repent, I will heal them. They will be saved, but they refuse. They've stopped up their own ears. They've closed their own eyes. They've hardened their own heart. Verse 24, Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. Notice what Paul says. They will listen. And we see Paul's success amongst the Gentiles in the Roman world, and he was right. They will listen. And many were converted. But notice Paul quotes the same prophecy as Jesus. Paul quotes Isaiah 6, 6-9 through 9 as we read it. I mean, 9-10 uh, through 10 as we read it. And he says that these people are choosing to have hard hearts, they're choosing not to hear, and God's not going to force them to listen and understand. In the last place, Jesus, and this is the the way we're usually used to thinking about this, Jesus spoke in parables in order to bless those willing to understand. Notice back in our text in Matthew 13, notice the last two verses I didn't read yet, verses 16 and 17. So he's just got done talking about those who are going to reject Jesus, The kingdom. Those who are going to hear parables and not understand, those with the hard hearts, those fulfilling Isaiah. And notice verse 16, notice how it starts, but. So not everybody's like that. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So not everybody's in that boat. Not everybody's in that hard heart boat. Not everybody's closed their eyes and stopped up their ears so that they won't hear, so that they won't enter the kingdom, so that they won't learn from God. Not everybody's like that. Notice in Mark 4, 33 through 44. This illustrates this even more. Mark 4, 33 through 34. Notice what Jesus has, or what's recorded about Jesus there, rather. And this is um, Mark's account of the same event, Jesus giving the parable of the sower and then a couple more parables. And then notice beginning there, Beginning there in verse number 33, it says, With many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. Notice this. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. So if those who were invested, those who were genuinely following Jesus, if they had more questions, Jesus would answer those questions. He would explain to them what it meant. He would explain to them what it's about. So Jesus isn't trying to seal anything off uh, for people. Rather, it's just the nature of parables. They're vague enough that if you don't want to understand it, if you want to stay where you are, you're not going to get it. But at the same time, those who are invested, those who care, those who are interested, those with soft and open hearts, are going to be able to be changed. A couple of things about this uh, in, in way of application, where the rubber meets the road. Parables teach us a couple of different things. In the first place, parables teach us things about God. A couple of different things about God. This is an exhaustive... But Jesus' use of parables teach us some things. In the first place, God wants to communicate. God does care, and he does care about our state, and he wants to uh, reach people on their level and speak to them and communicate with them. And that's really a big part of what this is, right? God didn't have to give us a book, but here we are with one. And it's at the test of time, and here we are, and we can still read it and digest it and apply it to our own lives. It's still living and active. He's not just a God who set the universe up, cranked it up, and he's just letting it go. And he says, I don't really care. And these people can make their messes, and they can sin, and I'm just going to stay up here. I'm just going to condemn them all. That's not God. He wants to communicate. And in some way, parables show the mercy of Jesus. Him trying to explain these things to people in a way that they would understand it. But it's kind of two sides of the same coin. At the same time, God will allow those who reject his truth to remain in darkness. God wants to communicate with you he wants you to be able to have your heart changed. He wants you to come to him. But if you choose not to, he's not going to grab you by the back of the neck and force you into his group of people. He's not going to do that. In Romans 1, uh, turn there if you'd like, but you have this phrase three times, Romans 1, 26, and 28. And if you're familiar, this is like the moral descent of the Gentiles. They just got more and more, uh, just uh, in their conduct, more sinful and in these three times it says God gave them up to fulfill the passions of their flesh. Right? It's not like God was going to come down and force them to stop doing what they already wanted to do. And Paul says they were without excuse. They knew enough. They knew that God existed. They knew that there was a way to live. But they ignored that. They chose to worship the creation over the creator. And the result was God gave them up. Three times it says that. He wasn't going to force them to do what's right. Then Exodus 7:17 7, it says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. This is the first time Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh in his court and ask them to let his, their, God's people go. And it says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened by the word of the Lord. And it wasn't that Moses, I mean, that God was making sure that Pharaoh wouldn't let his people go. That's what he wanted, right? But just the very nature of God's word coming to Pharaoh and Pharaoh saying, "Who's Jehovah? Why should I listen to him?" It was going to harden his heart. And of course, the plagues escalated until uh, the death of the firstborn and finally Pharaoh let the people go, but not without chasing them into the Red Sea. So God will allow those who reject his truth to remain in darkness. But parables also teach us some things about ourselves, teaches us about God, also teaches us about ourselves. in the first place teaches us that the condition of our heart matters. And really, you have this... Thread throughout the Bible that a man, a woman, a person really is, it's not necessarily what you see, it's what's in here. It's the condition of their heart. and it's not referring to the blood pump, it's not referring to the physical origin, organ. He's talking about really their seat of consciousness, who they are, really, behind closed doors, who they really are, uh, inside of themselves. In Proverbs 4:23, we're told to keep our hearts with all diligence. Why? For from it flows the springs of life. In other words, everything that happens in your life, everything you do, the way you conduct yourself, that all comes from your heart. Uh, There's a story of a man who, a professor I had at school who was looking to buy a house, and they went to this house out in the country in West Tennessee, and there was this fountain outside, like a spring bubbling up, and it gave you this nice little river through his backyard. And he wanted to go, and he wanted to drink some of that water because he knew the source of the spring. He knew it was right there in his backyard. It's probably good, fresh, clean water. And he hiked up to the source where the water was coming out of the ground, and there was a cow carcass right there, right by where that water is bubbling up. And you don't have to be, you don't have to be an outdoorsman to know. If there's a cow carcass where the water is coming out of the ground, it's not good to drink even half a mile down the stream. right? It's still messed up. And that's what God's saying about our heart. Our heart stems from here. It's bubbling up out of our inner self. And if that, if there's a cow carcass on that, if there's sin around that, if there's whatever it is around that, then that's going to flow downstream. That's going to affect us. In Proverbs twenty-seven nineteen, God says, just in the same way that water reflects the face of a man, his heart reflects his life. And this is more than just whether or not I'm going to understand what Jesus says. This is day in and day out stuff. The condition of my heart matters. Likewise, whether or not parables are a blessing is up to us. Whether or not I'll be blessed with Jesus' parables, whether or not I'll be able to uh, learn from them, to grow from them, to grow closer to God through them, that's up to me. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, There are some of them that are kind of hard to understand, and we need to do some work, but with an open heart and with a willing heart, That's the number one biggest first step because there's those who will hear things plain as day out of the mouth of Jesus, but they're unwilling to accept them, so therefore they don't. The last question tonight that we all need to ask is what kind of heart do I have? If that's the case, rather since that's the case, what kind of heart do I have? Do I have a hard, proud heart? Do I think I know better than God? Do I think that by means of my own strength and intelligence, I can get through life without depending on him? Because the thing is, God is not going to force me. If I have a hard heart, God is not going to force me to have an accepting heart. And with a hard heart, I can read the Bible again and again. I can memorize scripture. I can sing songs. I can even go through the motions of prayer. But with a hard heart, I'll never grow closer to God. Because I'm unwilling to change myself, I'm unwilling to repent, I'm unwilling to be transparent, I'm unwilling to grow closer to him. Just like the Pharisee in the one parable, who gets up and he prays, remember what he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like this man over here. And he pretty much just rattles off, he's bragging to God. Can you imagine the audacity of bragging to God? But this is what this man does. But then there's the tax collector, somebody people look down on. And he can't even raise his eyes. He can't even look up to heaven. And he's pounding on his own chest. And he says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, he goes to his house justified. Why? He had a soft heart. Even though he was in a profession that a lot of people looked down on, he was willing to be open and honest with God. He was willing to change. He was humble. And he was willing to repent. Do I have a hard heart or do I have a soft, willing heart? A heart that humbly takes God at his word. A heart that is childlike and dependent on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is the kind of heart we hope to have. And if I've got a soft heart, if I've got an open heart, parables help me grow closer to God. Parables help me unlock, like Jesus would say, the secrets of the kingdom. So the question tonight is, how is my heart? Will Jesus' words give you a reason to ignore him? Or a reason to grow closer to him. Maybe you're here tonight and you've got an open heart. You've got a heart that wants to do what God would have you to do. But you're not sure what that is. We'd love to study with you. We'd love to uh, take your hand and show you through the Bible what God has to say about a life that's pleasing to him. Maybe you know your heart is hard. Maybe you know your heart is hard. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to help you. Maybe sin is It doesn't even bother you anymore. Maybe you're just not convicted. Even when you read the Bible, even when you hear sermons, it just doesn't do anything for you. We'd love to help you, to pray for you, to seek for that to change. Maybe you're here with an open heart, and you realize that there's something left undone. You realize that you don't have the relationship with God that you should. You realize that because of your own sin, there's a divide between you and God. Thankfully, there's a way to bridge that gap. That's why Jesus came to this earth and died. So that if we believe he is who he said he was, if we're willing to repent of our sins and confess that he is the son of God, we could be buried with him in baptism and have a new life. Before we can get there, though, we have to be open and honest with ourselves and open and honest with God. We have to have a soft heart, a heart willing to follow God wherever he goes. There's a couple of things we learned from parables, but I think this is the key. The condition of our heart matters. How is your heart tonight? If you have a need to come forward, do so while we stand and sing. Thank you.